the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of love. It was the European summer of 1975. My father-in-law, Andrei Fudakoski, that's Kasia's father, arrived in Cambridge Riverwood University. And he'd come for the first time to travel back to Poland uh, since the war and to take us and to introduce us to the family. Kasia was born in London after the war and came straight to New Zealand. So he hadn't been there before. He had come out of a concentration camp at the end of the war. He wasn't Jewish, he was a Polish Catholic, but he was almost here. And he couldn't bear to travel through Germany, so he flew. We had an old car. For some of you might know this car, if you're old enough, a Ford Anglia, sort of little box, and the wheels went one way and the body went the other, you know, that sort of thing. And we travelled from Cambridge to um, Poznan, as it was, to begin with, and then on to Warsaw in that car. Met Andre there. The plant I want to talk about happened in Warsaw, in Warsaw, in the uh, flat that belonged to Andre's cousin and Kasia's auntie. They'd given us this little place right in the centre of Warsaw that we were staying in. And we travelled a bit, but things had got a bit hot and we were having an argument. We were unhappy. And the reason was basically because Kasia and Andre were fowls. You know, they wake up early in the morning and I'm an owl. Uh, <laughs> they like to go to bed late at night and get up later. Uh, but I was the only driver, you see, the two of them at that stage didn't have a licence. Well, Andre never had a licence, but Kasia eventually got one when she came back to New Zealand. And they wanted me to be getting up earlier to take them around the place. And I was frustrated, I wanted to get some sleep and I was sick of driving anyway. <laughs> so voices got raised and we withdrew from each other. I was feeling really angry. And then Andre, the 65-year-old man, I was 26 years old at the time, Andre came and just said, Charles, I'm sorry, let's do it your way. I was completely taken aback. It was the last thing I was thinking of would happen. It completely melted all the anger inside me. In fact, it made me guilty, feel guilty about my own youthful arrogance and disrespect. We compromised as a result of that apology, and I, of course, apologised back, and we had a marvellous six-week journey together, squashed up and a little for anger. I've never forgotten the lesson I learned that day. And I remember it again when I first learned the story of the widow's might would be our gospel reading this morning. This is a wonderful story and it's very relevant to us here at St. Peter's. I've seen it happen here. Jesus sat opposite what was called the treasury in the temple and watched people putting money into it. He had a nerve to do that, you know. I'd be too embarrassed to be watching people putting in and working out the amounts they're putting in. This was the second temple in Jerusalem. 
Solomon's temple, of course, was the first one that was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BCE. There were two places where people gave their monetary contributions in the temple. The first place was the trumpet-shaped chests around the court of women. This is where people threw their coins into, into these chests. Only Jews could enter into the court of women, and it was the way you had to go through that before you got to the more to, to the later court, the court of the priests, where the Holy of Holies was. The court of women was separate from the court of the priests, where the sacrifices were made, and further the Ark of the Covenant, further in, the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It was in the court of women where Jesus would have taught, and it says he had been teaching there in the temple. The second place where money was offered was the treasury itself, and it was inside the court of women. In this place you had to declare your gift and what it was intended for. It was all entirely visible and audible to an onlooker. So he watches the crowd at one or both of these places. He was kind of nosy. He notices rich people putting in large sums. And then he sees a poor widow put in two almost worthless copper coins. This clearly arrests his thoughts, and he calls his disciples to him to point out what's happening here. He is not stimulated by the piety of the woman, in contrast to the arrogance of the wealthier people declaring their amounts. Sadly, that's the way the story is so often interpreted. No, his point is consistent with his whole ministry. He's actually condemning the values that motivate the widow's actions and is challenging the people who conditioned her to do it. The context is that he's just parodied the scribes who he says walk around the temple and greet in the marketplaces. He refers to them taking the first bench in the synagogue and the first couch at dinners. He's referring to their sense of entitlement. Now there's a historical context to which many would have understood at the time. These scribes were privileged people who became trustees of the estates of widows because women were not in those days entrusted to manage their deceased husband's affairs. The scribes, as religious people, were entrusted to become the trustees of the estates and took a percentage of the assets as compensation. It was well known that many abused the privilege and embezzled or misappropriated the funds. For most widows, there weren't a lot of funds anyway, so they would be left poor. Jesus is lamenting the ills of the officials that have been covered up by false devotion. And the rich, whose grasping behaviour have put this poor widow into the position of giving all she had, and therefore going without, under the guise of religious devotion. Firstly, many of these women were robbed of the meagre assets they had, 
And then secondly, they were still required to pay more to the temple, even though they were employed. That is why Jesus said, The scribes and the rich people gave out of their abundance, but she gave everything she had to live on, by which he was referring to her whole life. The organisation which was supposed to protect her was actually robbing her. This is his point. Now these two stories are not the same, and in a sense they raise a number of different issues. However, they have three things in common. Firstly, they were both humble. The widow and my father-in-law were both humble because they had in mind something greater than themselves. She was humble in the face of arrogance. She paid humbly, but she needn't have. She paid because she believed it went to God and she would be cared for. He apologised humbly, but likewise he needn't have. He apologised because his values told him that humility was a part of faith and relationships were more important than being right. Secondly, they both gave proportionately much more than a few worthless coins and an apology. She gave everything she had. It was beyond generosity. Andre was an older man who had experienced the worst horror of the war and was graciously introducing us to the Rojina, to the family, in Poland. And yet he surrendered all his expectations and pride and apologised to a 26-year-old, inexperienced, self-assured young man, probably a little wet behind the ears, proportionally it was much greater than an ordinary apology. Thirdly, a little action had a huge impact. Because Jesus was inquisitive and even nosy, she was observed, and her story has been told in many countries over 2,000 years. His story could not be compared to have the same impact, but it did have a very large, large effect. I've never forgotten it and at times when I have been at my wit's end with people, I've remembered what he did, and on my good days followed suit. <laughs> In common with Aramaic and Hebrew thought, these stories tell of transcendent and spiritual realities as much as they tell of material and this world realities. The widow offers us a spiritual picture of meditation, and contemplation. As she emptied herself, we can see, contemplate, empty ourselves and trust and allow the Holy One to touch us. In time, we can offer our struggles and wait for wisdom. We can offer our talents and listen for direction. We can become so much more connected to the transcendent spiritual world and allow it to influence us and transform us. This is not gobbledygook. It is what spiritually mature people do. It can be a wonderful part of our pilgrimage, as it was for her. She and my father-in-law also offer us a picture for the great challenge of our planet, 
that is being debated openly in Glasgow at this moment. They were humble because they had in mind something greater than themselves. We've plundered Mother Nature, and it's time to give back and pay her the dividend we have stolen since the Industrial Revolution. She is so much better than all of us. They both gave proportionately much more than coins or an apology. A deep commitment to the physical and political struggle to protect the planet and our communities and workplaces is an action bigger than the act itself because it is costly and honours the gift of creation and our spiritual connection to it. Their little actions had huge impacts. We are a small group of people in a faraway place on the planet with a minuscule GDP by comparison with other nations. But our commitment to do all in our power to work with others to reduce carbon and methane emissions and meet the COP goals will have a much greater impact at this time in the planet's history than other times. People and countries are waiting and looking for examples. I just want to say finally that one day in this church, quite recently, out of the corner of my eye, I saw one of the homeless men that joins us in worship walk down the aisle and place a brown two-cent coin in the offering basket that sits there during the COVID period. It literally took my breath away because I saw him as an angel reminding me once again of the beauty and power of the widow's mind.